You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Coming up on episode 15 of Off Air with Joe and Oral. Pitching coach Mark Pryor is our guest. He talks about his baseball journey, which is unique. He's been pretty much everything you could possibly be in the baseball world. He's ready to start his first year as pitching coach. He was a lot of fun to talk to, wasn't he, Oral? He was a lot of fun. And it was interesting to talk to Dave Roberts this week, too. Give us a little heads up on the lineup and maybe an under-the-radar MVP candidate that he foresees. We've got all that and plenty more, including now, what are the best cereals in the world? It's quite a debate. And listen, <laughs> hey, this is the last episode, really, of the off-season. Next time you hear one of these episodes, it's going to be opening day. Today's podcast is brought to you by AMPM, Q-Cells, Security Benefit, and Postmates. Yeah, and as a proud partner of the Dodgers, AMPM wants to remind you that they're your one-stop shop for all your baseball snack cravings. Whether you're just wanting a delicious Dodger dog or rib sandwich, maybe you just want to sneak in a fountain drink and a warm cookie, AMPM's got all your snacking bases covered. So you can pick up some nachos, listen to me and Oral talk with your favorite players, and then it's almost like baseball's back. AMPM, too much good stuff. Harness unlimited energy from the sun through solar, a sustainable investment for energy independence. Curious, curious to see if solar is worth it for you? Calculate your savings with Qcells, the number one solar panel market share leader and official solar partner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Visit Qcells at www.q-cells.us to learn more today. I was worried about that hyperlink, but you nailed it. Every winning season is built on a strong team, a team committed to executing a solid game plan and a security benefit. We want to help you and your advisor build your retirement game plan to help you stay committed during these uncertain times so that when it's time to execute, you know that you've got a solid team behind you. When it comes to retirement, losing is not an option. Talk to your financial advisor to see how you can plan for retirement. Security benefit, proud sponsor of the Dodgers. Listen up. You guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now. Order your takeout through Postmates Pickup because it's a great way to support your community. For a limited time, Postmates is giving L.A. listeners unlimited free delivery for three months when you sign up. To start your three months of free delivery, just download the Postmates app and sign up online to place your first order. It is episode 15, the final off-season episode of Off Air. Hit it, Frankie. We're recording at 9 a.m. Wednesday morning. That means you are how many cups of coffee deep, Mark? Just starting. Just starting. What? Late night last night. Uh, what do you got there? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I just opened up a new bag. Um, I can go get it, but I think it was uh, uh, something from a – I do a subscription from Trade Coffee. So uh, when I was home yesterday, I just grabbed it from the house and brought it up. So I haven't looked at it exactly, but – most of the time, it's uh, either Heart Coffee uh, or Bird Rock Coffee in San Diego are my go-tos. Is that a risky proposition just to be a subscriber and just hope they send you good coffee? Uh, actually, no. It's, it's worked out really well, um, specifically when this stuff, the pandemic went down. Um, somebody had told me about it before. I don't know if it was Danny Lehman. Uh, who, who we work with or, or somebody else, uh, but it's great. They, they draw from roasters all across the country. Uh, you kind of give them your, you know, it's like wine. You kind of tell them like, Hey, I like this, you know, taste. And I like these, you know, uh, light roast or dark roast. And then they just start plucking things from, I've gotten some great coffee from like Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, Arkansas. Represent. 
Yeah. So it's, uh, it's kind of cool. And then it's just, you know, you, you, you can manage it a little bit, but it's great. Cause you just find all these little, you know, there's some different stuff that you're not obviously going to go. Uh, I don't find myself in Arkansas and Michigan very often anymore. So, uh, it's been great. Uh, I got no complaints and it's delivered straight to your house. So it makes it even easier. There are wine snobs. There are food snobs. Are you a self-admitted coffee snob by now? Uh, I don't know. It's a cross between snob and addict. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I like to drink. We like to drink a lot of coffee for sure. Has it always been a thing? Have you always been deeply interested in the finer points of coffee? No. um, No, and I wouldn't say that my palate is like so refined that, you know, you could take me to like a tasting and I could tell you exactly like (laughs) which region of the world it came from. But uh, it started... Probably, um, I guess it was my first year in San Diego. So that would have been like 2014. And I was just, we were out grabbing lunch with some of the guys in the office. And somebody said, uh, you know, hey, you want some coffee? And I was like, yeah. And we were going to stop at like, you know, your Starbucks or Pete's or whatever. And then he's like, no, no, we're going over here. And then I started like, oh, this is kind of different. And then just kind of snowballed from there. And then it really more or less became a hobby when I was traveling as a coordinator. Um, I don't really love being in my hotel room. Uh, so it was just a way for me to kind of get out and go do work somewhere in a coffee shop and kind of see towns. And that's kind of just snowballed from there. So we're about a week out now. Can, we're going to do this, huh? Can you believe that we are a week from this finally happening? <laughs> yeah, it's starting the, uh, yeah, the, the adrenaline starting to like, you know, start racing a little bit more. Uh, you start specifically because it's Sunday, we're playing the Diamondbacks. Uh, you know, you kind of start seeing another team, a team that you're going to see a lot during the season. Um, and you start trying to like, you, you start trying to line up all your, you know, your advanced reports and, you know, making sure everybody's kind of dialed in. So even though know, it's another week away, it's, it's for us, it's really about four days away. And so the process is starting and, and you're starting to have those feelings of here we go. And uh, it's a good feeling, but it's, it's, it's also a feeling of once you know it starts, you know, you're going at it hard until, until it's done. How has the vibe changed around the ballpark? You know, that's a good question. Um, actually, on the field, I don't really, other than, you know, the obvious masks and orange tape in the dugouts and, you know, you're playing your own team. The on-field stuff for me has been pretty pretty similar um and you know guys interactions on the field you know with myself and other teammates and you know the stretching and the throwing like that that particularly hasn't changed much um i think it's a lot uh behind the scenes that you're not used to you're not seeing you know guys sitting around talking eating playing cards um you know kind of the that normal banter that goes on in the clubhouse is i think that's obviously the biggest and, and most uh, area that's been mostly impacted by this as of right now. And I'm sure like once we get traveling and, and some of the new restrictions, you know, when you're on a road and stuff on the road city, uh, that will, that'll be different. But on the field, I, I do feel like it's been pretty, you know, pretty normal. You know, I wouldn't say it's like perfectly normal, but it's been, it's been pretty normal. Guys are there to work and they want to play uh, and compete and get better. Uh, but also having fun and, you know, and razzing each other and doing the normal things that you would see on a baseball field. So from that standpoint, it's been pretty similar. Have you felt rushed to get the guys ready? I mean, no and yes. Um, honestly, I, I think we're very blessed and fortunate that we have a lot of responsible competitors. Um, and that's probably the best way to put it is, is our staff from, from a pitching standpoint um, our guys are responsible. They take their, they take their craft and they take their job very seriously. Um, it was unique time, no doubt, but they made the sure that they got themselves ready. Um, you know, we articulated and communicated throughout the quarantine, myself and Connor and doc, you know, Hey, when we do show up, it is going to be quick. It's going to be, you know, for the starters, you know, three starts, probably max. Uh, and so that there was an expectation that you guys need to be ready to go, you know, three, four, five out of the shoot if, if you can. Um, you know, some guys had some limitations from facility uses or some catchers and stuff, and, and you just adapt to that. Uh, and that's not a problem. But these guys came in ready to go. Um, and I think I think we've seen that with the ability of Kirsch and Strip 
and Woody to be able to branch out and, and get five innings and six innings and, and are going to be full go. And I think our relievers are in really good shape. Um, there are some moments where you're kind of like, okay, you know, Kinley uh, and Pedro and Scotty and Gonsolin coming back, you know, being delayed. Um, that puts them in a little bit of a deficit. Um, so we'll, we'll see how they react. And, and the only thing we've, you know, I've been trying to stay focused in is just living in the present. And, and I don't necessarily do that as well as I probably should. But in this situation, you do it, you deal with what you have and who's in front of you and you pitch and, and you prepare them. Uh, and as those other guys trickle in, you prepare them accordingly and make sure that first they're healthy and then second, they're ready to go to help us win ball games. Impressive the way they all came into camp, but what were some of the biggest challenges when you didn't have a date? Was it a motivation mental side of it? Was it the physical side, not having facilities? What was those the big challenges during the shutdown? Yeah, I'd say the first was probably the one um, that took hold right around beginning of June, you know, maybe late May, early June. Um, I, I think when everybody, I, I think everybody was realistic knowing that we weren't going to be playing, you know, April 15th initially. Um, but then we started kind of hearing rumblings of maybe mid-June to starting like July 1st. And so guys kind of started to wrap their head around that. And, and we prepared, I think, one, I'd say probably from about second week of April, we kind of set a target date of July 1st um, and, and kind of use that as kind of our barometer of trying to prepare guys, you know, not crush them in April and having them throw 75 pitch pens, give them a little bit of a breather, but not deload them and detrain them too much. Um, but as, you know, the business side and, you know, of the negotiations kind of, you know, got protracted. Uh, you could see like the 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 focus kind of started to wane a little bit, and, and that, I think that was the biggest challenge. Like, hey guys, like I get it, you know, you know, I empathize with kind of where you guys are at from a from a negotiation standpoint. But like, when this gets done, because I think ultimately everybody knew that it was not gonna not get done. If that makes sense, um, <laughs> you got to be prepared, and you can't just completely shut it down. So I think that was there was about a ten day two week window in there where it was a little bit of like you know, stay focused as much as you can. But I think we emphasize more of like the physical aspect of it versus like the fine execution of it. You know, I said, guys, I, I'm not concerned if, you know, your slider is not, has the teeth that it normally does. I'm not concerned if you're dotting on both sides of the plate. What I, you know, what myself and Brandon uh, McDaniel and, and kind of the coaching staff, what we wanted was volume. We wanted, you know, uh, we wanted the body to be ready to at least handle you know, the, the rigors that are going to get thrown at them. So from a standpoint of whether it was like you're throwing 80% strikes or you're throwing 50% strikes, like I tried to take that focus out of it and just focus on like get the volume, make sure, you're t you know, your body's ready to go, your arm's ready to go. And I think when guys like weren't so concerned about, you know, being, you know, mid-July form, then I think they, you know, relaxed a little bit and freed them up to, to get ready and get going. Mark, what's it been like working more and more as you've moved into the pitching coach role with Clayton Kershaw? And how do you walk that line where it's like, hey, you're a Hall of Famer. I know you know what you're doing, but I'm here for you if you need me as a resource. I mean, I think that's probably the best way to put it. Um, you know, I think we're all here for 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 all our, our, all our athletes to be just resources, you know, ultimately like it's got to come down to, you know, I, I, what they want to do as a player um, and their ability to, you know, internalize, you know, kind of their wants and needs, but then also be able to communicate their wants and needs outwardly to get help when they, when they feel they need it as well as being open enough to take, you know, whether it's, you know, suggestive comments or even criticism. And, and I think ultimately it comes down to is like Clayton wants to win and Clayton wants to be really good. And so he's very determined and has a very, you know, uh, set focus on what he wants to accomplish each day. And I think it's just a mindset of knowing that, you know, I'm here for him. And so how can I help him and how is Connor can help him and how can, you know, BMAC help him. And I think when we take that more of that partnership approach to it versus like, you know, coach player, um, I think it works well. You know, Clayton's very, um, you know, he's, he's very regimented in what he does. He's completely different than, and Walker Bueller and Strip, and so it, again, it's just I've been fortunate that I was here for two years, uh, was able to see the relationship that Honey had with him, and what where Honey was able to kind of push, you know, push on him to try to get some things maybe that you know that you know we needed from Clayton, 
but I also saw where Honey knew when to step back and let Clayton, you know, work through things on his own and and let him have his own autonomy and his own in, in his games. And so, uh, just kind of seeing that dynamic, I think helped me tremendously versus just coming in and parachuting in and saying like, Hey, this is my idea. This is what you got. And so, and really understanding kind of the back and forth that you need to have with Clayton and, and the feel that goes along with having somebody uh, who is, like you said, who is the hall of famer and has done so much in this game. Um, but it, it's been great. The, what I have actually seen out of him this year um, that I hadn't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I hadn't seen in the last couple of years is there seems to be a little bit um you know, I wouldn't say it's a freedom, but there's a little bit more at ease with him. Like, I think he's feeling much more confident. And, and I think that goes back to the work he had in the offseason, coming into spring training, feeling 100% healthy versus the last couple of years, either kind of rehabbing and trying to put the pieces back together physically and maybe not being exactly where he wants. That puts a lot of, I think that puts a lot of pressure on any athlete, but specifically him where he doesn't feel like he's 100% from the, from the first day. And I think this year, what we've seen out of him, all the way back to the regular spring training, is just a freedom, a, a relaxedness, um, and a much more at calm person. Not necessarily not he's still the same competitor, but a much more calmer person on the mound. Uh, and I think that's freedom up to to pitch and and work and get his work in. How has your transition been personally from coordinator to bullpen coach to now the pitching coach? Do you feel a different pressure? Is your days different? How have you felt your transition has gone personally? Well, I mean, the obvious answer is my days were different because I was home for three months. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it's been kind of weird. It's People have asked me how's it been, you know, obviously during this um stay at home time it was it was literally it was it was a little bit more like actually being a coordinator constantly you know communicating with players trying to set some schedules and program them to try to get them ready um you know but so far it, it's been um i don't know I, I guess i just don't view it as like pitching coach you know i feel like we have such a great team from a coaching staff myself connor's a beast um what he can do and what his knowledge um, you know, BMAC and his staff with Travis and what they can accomplish in the weight room. Um, you know, Rob Hill's another guy from a coordinator, Donnie Alexander. I, I feel like when we start, you know, viewing, viewing, I guess the pitching instruction or the pitching department is sometimes like we refer to is like, when we look at it as a collaborative effort, I think we accomplish so much more than, you know, versus just myself or, or just um, Connor. And, and it's just something that, um, I think we talk constantly about it, about players, about pitching, uh, about body movements. Uh, and so that's helped tremendously. It's just that, you know, we're all in this together. And so that's taken a lot. I feel like it's taken a lot of pressure off myself where I got to come in and I got to make sure that everything's in line. Uh, these guys, you know, I think we bounce each other's ideas off. And I think now that we're five, six months into this thing, even though we haven't been playing games, just the communication. I think we have a great trust for each other and what they're doing and what I'm doing and what, you know, Connor knows what I want to see and I know what he's trying to see. And I think his skill set and my skill set complement each other tremendously. And I think ultimately, which is most important is I think that impacts the pitchers in a good way. Um, and I think once, but once we get into the season, I'm sure I'll start noticing more of the real, you know, in the dugout, in the moments, you know, where those conversations are a little bit different than they are down in the bullpen. In the bullpen, it's like, hey, here's our game plan. You're really good, Kenley. Like, let's go. Go attack. Here's the three guys coming up. You know, I think, as as you know, as being in the dugout, there's a little bit more of half psychology, half game planning, maybe some delivery tweaks, like triage delivery tweaks. You know, I think that's where I'll start noticing there's a difference and there's a little bit more of – you know, maybe pressure to like impact in the moment, you know, versus like having the time to set back, come up with a game plan and then attack it that way. Several years into your coaching career here now, who do you find yourself a product of as a coach? It's a good question. Um, I'd say probably the sum of all of all my coaches. Um, you know, I feel like I've always taken an approach of, to take something out of them, but I, I think if we go back, I mean, I could go back as far as, I mean, uh, John Savage, UCLA's coach, he was my coach at USC. Uh, just his discipline, 
his work ethic, uh, ability to grind, you know, day in and day out. And that, at that level, it's obviously, you know, a lot of it's recruiting, a lot of it's game planning, you know, with VHS tapes at the time. Uh, so I think John Savage, he, he really structured our program at the time to really like set a foundation, I think, for my discipline and how I work and time management. Um, and then subsequently Dave Lawn behind him, who was a little bit of a different coach, but he allowed the freedom to be a professional. And, and so that allowed me to, you know, basically apply what I felt my self-discipline was to, to what I was doing. So I think those two guys uniquely, um, you know, I mean, there was the initial Tom house, uh, back in the day, like I knew Tom from when I was in high school. Um, you know, he was obviously forward thinking progressive at, at sometimes back then that wasn't as widely accepted. Um, Ironically, like I'm not sure where he'd be if this was two day, two decades later, he might be fitting right into the, you know kind of the wave of of instruction right now. Um, but not, nevertheless, like his experience as a big league pitching coach, his ability to communicate, and again, I think it comes down to establishing relationships. Um, Honey, again, I go back to Honey and just his, you know, he's got a. a, a a great way, to, you know, whether it's a Southern way or whether it's his way, what, you know, it's just, he's got a feel for things, his ability to establish relationships and, and him and, and Darren Balsley, you know, I, I always make the comment like their skill. And I, I truly believe it's a skill, their skill to relate to players, to make players feel in the moment that they're the best person and the best player in the world impacts these guys' abilities on the field. And, and, and they do that just, you know, again, establishing relationships, um, knowing the player, what the player's wants are, and then what the player's needs are. Because I think ultimately that's important. It doesn't matter what I want or what I need or what I think I need to see. If the player doesn't internalize it or feel it or need it or want it or even willing to accept it, then for him to actually go out there and try to, you know, put that into practice, it doesn't, for me, I don't think it, it works. So it's, it's, it's understanding that relationship. So I, I think from, from honey and balls and just seeing how they've worked with, you know, professionals at the highest level, again, to hall of famers, whether it's Kershaw or Maddox, or even just to the young guys, you know, like Fergie and just imparting knowledge. Uh, they've been great. Um, you know, gosh, I could go on forever. Alan Dunn was my double a pitching coach. Um, back in Chicago, he's LSU's pitching coach. He was great. He was another one kind of in that savage mode of like, let's work, let's grind. And then ultimately I think Larry, you know, Rothschild is a Padres pitching coach. I had him for six or seven years, you know, and I was 20, 21 when I came up, uh, and his ability to just, you know, handle my emotions, you know, like the things that I was going through and being able to, he knew when to push me and he knew when to like a kid, like just go sit in the clubhouse for a few innings and, and take time off. So, uh, again, it's everybody's added something and you try to take something from everybody. I mean, Connor McGinnis, like, I mean, I'm talking to him every day about, you know, pitch design and, and how to tweak things, you know, objectively, not just necessarily subjectively with, you know, out in the bullpen. So uh, there's always something to learn from somebody. You mentioned Larry Rothschild. I read about the conversation you had with him pretty early on in your time in the majors where he said, basically, look, dude, you got to chill out a little bit and enjoy the moment a little bit more, take a step back. And it sounded like it wasn't at that point in your personality to do that. Is it any easier to enjoy the moment and enjoy what you're doing in your current position? And are you able to take that lesson ever and pass it on to the guys you're currently coaching? Yeah, no, I mean, Larry, um, <laughs> yeah, Larry, uh, that was a, I, I do remember that conversation. And at that moment, I did not take those comments very well, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and, and I see, I, you know, I just had a, a mentality where I wasn't, you know, I was, I didn't want to leave anything, any stone unturned. And so my mentality was if I'm going to, if something's going to go bad, it's not going to be because I didn't put the time in and I didn't put the effort in. And it, sometimes it got to the point where it was, um, so methodical and so i guess maniacal in some ways that it, you know i was just at times i probably wasn't a great teammate i just was like you know very like focused and i'm gonna go and do my thing um but he did say you know and i think what he, when that, that conversation was going on is you would see 
almost like the stress, the weight of that stress on me on a daily basis where, you know, I'd, I'd actually pitch good, but because I gave up, you know, two runs and, you know, maybe we didn't win the game, you know, I would wear that not the next day, but I'd be still wearing it leading into my next start. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, trying to prove myself that I had to get better than that. And I think he was basically trying to give me like, look, you need to have some perspective that you're, A, you're not going to win all these games and B, um, you know, you got to like take a step back, realize where you're at. You're 22 years old, like, you know, trying to get a bigger picture of it. And and I do try to express that. And I, it took, you know, the usual, like having kids to understand, understand that. Um, I think my injuries really put me in a position to where when I had the injuries as much as they sucked and the, the years that it took me just to get back to even like the ability to compete, um, going back through AAA and Louisville and Pawtucket and Scranton, like that gave me, I think, a healthy perspective of like enjoying the game for what it is versus what I was always trying to accomplish uh, and, and a little bit of that living in the moment. Um, so it, it took me years to, to have that, to get the perspective to truly understand living in the moment. And I feel I do that much better now. And I try to impart that on players like, look, your time is very finite in this game. You know, and, and that can mean six months. That might mean 16 years. But either way, it's, it, there's a very finite time in the course of your life. And not, I'm not saying to go, go out there and bust your butt and work hard, but do realize where you're at and you are part of an elite group of people and, and try to take have perspective of like it's not you're not going to be perfect. And I think that's really tough specifically for guys who are very, like, I guess, focused on what they do. And maybe who've come, who've had a lot of success at a certain level, and they expect that same success to translate immediately at this level. And um, and just trying to get guys to understand that it's not necessarily always the case, and and it doesn't always have to be a linear path uh, from a performance standpoint. Mark, people know you as the you know the second overall pick, and then the young phenom with the Cubs, and a guy that should have won Cy Young in two thousand three, and was an All Star, and the next big thing. But what the casual fan might not know that you touched on a little bit is that you spent six and a half, seven years after the injuries knocked you out of the majors trying to get back. Six and a half, seven years. What was that journey like? And how did you how did you motivate yourself to keep going back out there year after year, injury after injury? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a Thanks for reminding me of those six and a half years. (laughs) (laughs) I'm impressed. No, um, you know, I mean, I I think in the first part, there was relief. You know, the first surgery, I'm like, oh, sweet. Like, they fixed the whole shoulder. I'm good to go. And then it kind of, you know, obviously it wasn't as easy as, you know, sewing me up. Um, Always it was really just, you know, I wanted to get back and I wanted to pitch um, and I wanted to compete. And then, you know, it, obviously after two, three years, you're like, all right, is this worth it? And, and, and full disclosure, I mean, there must have been 15, 30 times where like, I'm done, I'm done, hmm. I'm not doing this anymore. Um, you know, moments in Tampa, Florida in the middle of the summer, and I'm, you know, just staying at a, a motel like a couple blocks up from uh, their complex. Like, I'm like, this is, this is nuts. What am I doing? My family's at home. And, but ultimately, like the desire to go out and just play, like, honestly, I was just literally just trying to get back on the field to compete at a high level. And, and maybe at the time, the goal was obviously to pitch at the highest level in the big leagues. But it got to the point where I was like, I just want to compete at a high level. Um, and, you know, my wife, Heather, she's I mean, was extremely supportive of it. You know, we've been together, um, gosh, 20, 20, almost 22 years now. And, and so she's been through the ups and the downs and everything in between. And she's just like, you know, when you feel it's time, you know, I'll support whichever one you wanted to do. But in the same, the same breath, like I'm watching, she's at home. We're having young kids. Uh, so it was tough. Um, but I just, it was literally like the one goal of, I wanted to pitch at a high level again. Um, and, you know, I got back to the point in 2010 where, did like one of those tryouts. Nobody wanted to sign me um, just because of all the injuries. And, you know, it wasn't that impactful. Uh, my stuff wasn't that impactful. So I went and played independent ball here in Orange County uh, with the Orange County Flyers. Paul Abbott was our manager. He's like, do you want to come play? Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, where? He's like, meet me at Fullerton Junior College. I'll sign your contract in the back of the you know parking lot. And I'm like, fine. And um, 
you know, and I got back to playing and, and it was just, it was just fun. You know, it was just fun. It was like literally Legion ball style, like, you know, show up dressed, ready to go and let's play. And, and then that kind of gave me a little bit more motivation to keep going. And then, you know, I just enjoyed playing, you know, AAA in Pawtucket was a blast but in the summer there. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of history in the area. There's a lot of history with Pawtucket. Um, and, you know, it was just a lot of fun. And I just wanted to play the game. And that gave me more and more appreciation of why I played it from a young age and kept playing. Uh, and some of that gets lost in the shuffle of, you know, I guess, you know, college and drafts and, you know, expectations, but ultimately going out there and striking some dude out, throwing 88, you know, feels pretty good. So Oral knows that. <laughs> Thanks. That was my high end. It feels better when you're broken striking them out sometimes. <laughs> can you, can you feel, can you project back and feel what it was like when you were throwing the ball, like the best of the best, or do you watch a side work now with somebody and go, I did that, or I even did that a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> only when I need to, only when I need to knock down somebody's ego do I say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, check the tape. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I specifically don't bring up my uh, my, my don't check my videos because there's always enough people have dissected my my delivery at times. But yeah. um, I, I do. I mean, I I, I think back sometimes and and it's funny now because my kids will be flipping the channels and i think it was a few weeks ago like the the catching hell thing was on and then mlb actually ran that game and so they're watching it and making fun of my socks and sideburns sideburn and i'm like you know like what do you want me to do you know but and i look at the i look at the film and i was like gosh yeah i do remember that was uh I mean, it was fun. Like, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, 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 I mean, it's totally probably arrogant. Like there was a stretch from my junior year in college till, you know, I guess probably, I guess until I got hit with the line drive or, I mean, I walked out on the field and I was like, I mean, there's very few people that I'm worried about, um, you know, pool holes, um, you know, those types of guys. But yeah, I felt like I got this, you know, and, yeah, it didn't always line up, but it was a weird feeling to walk out that like, you know, I'm, I feel pretty, I feel pretty confident that I'm in a good position out on this field and I don't feel inferior by any means. Um, and I look back at that and I'm like, that's what Walker must feel like, <laughs> you know, that's what yeah. Scherzer and Strasburg, you know, and Verlander and Garrett Cole, like, you know, it's, it's a rare error for those guys. It's one to be in that moment on a given day, but what the, I'm just in, impressed in what these guys have done in their careers. Like they're living the, in their entire, almost their entire career. Maybe Garrett Cole a little bit later in his career, but like, you know, Scherzer has been a beast for like the better part of a decade. Clayton, same thing. Like to be able to have, we always talk about longevity in this game. Well, the longevity to be at an elite level is I don't even, I mean, not many people have that, can have that perspective. And, and so I look back at it from a standpoint of more of like unbelievable admiration for the guys that I'm currently watching do what they do at such a high level for such a long time. When you were in beast mode, did the, did it just flow out of your body? Were you still making adjustments? Were you still being maniacal about your mechanics and your execution or was it just coming out of your body with pure talent? I, I guess probably both. Uh, because in the same breath, I would go back and I look at some of these videos and, you know, and I was considered a command guy. You know, I could put the fastball where I wanted to and stuff like that. Um, I'm like, gosh, I'm missing spots all over the place, you know, down a ways, up and in, you know, curveball supposed to be here and there. But um, constantly always, I think, most pitchers, I'd be shocked if this is not a hundred percent true statement. There's always some tweaking you're doing. Yeah. You know, one day you might feel good to lift with your big toe and then two starts later, like that feels awkward. And you start thinking about your, you know, you know, your right finger. I mean, there's, you know, it's just, there's always something like where it feels, something feels better for two to three days. And then all of a sudden it feels like crap. And you're like, uh, I, I'm lost, even though you're not really visually changing much. Um, I do feel like I had really, um, a really good feel for the ball off my fingertips. 
And I think that was one of the reasons I was able to pitch effectively uh, with two, you know, basically two pitches is that I, I felt like I had the ability to shape my breaking ball however I wanted to change the speed a little bit. But ultimately, it was the same pitch. It wasn't like I had a slider and a curveball. I just called it a breaking ball. And when I wanted more depth, I got around it and, you know, got put my angled my wrist a little bit differently. When I wanted more sweep and hard with two strikes, I cut back on the grip. And so I just felt like I, I didn't know what I was doing back then. I don't think we knew. We couldn't quantify it. We couldn't talk about spin direction and axes and spins uh, with the same level of um, finesse that we have now. And so, but I do feel like I just had the ability to change it. And I did the same thing with my fastball. If I wanted to like move, uh, people always thought I threw a two-seamer, but I, I really just threw a four-seamer. Um, and again, I think I just had the ability to like push a little bit differently off my fingertips at the last minute, not knowing it, just kind of unconsciously. Um, so I think I had a combination of pretty good feel of the, of the ball, uh, as well as I was always kind of constantly tinkering and, and just trying to make sure I was smooth for what I thought my delivery was at the time. Looking back, not the best uh, arm action, but it was what it was. Mark Oral often says that he wouldn't have been able to sleep if he pitched in this generation because there's so much rich info that he would have gathered and used. Would you have been the same way if you pitched in this generation right now? Would you have been obsessed with all the information available? Um, I would be obsessed with the information that's going to help me get outs. Um, and I think ultimately I, I go back and forth on this of how much information is too much information. So I, I think for me, it would be determining what I value and what I need, um, to get out. And I think that changes for everybody. Um, you know, certain guys need to know exactly, you know, the direction of their fastballs moving because that they are, can put that into practice, you know, in real time for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty simple when it comes to how I coach and how I teach, but it probably comes very simple of how I'm going to attack guys out or how I'm going to get guys and attack them. Um, and what I don't think we ever want is to be to be stuck because you've got too much information. We don't want the you know paralysis by analysis. Um, there's so much information out there. And so it's really about just consolidating it down to the consumer and what he can handle, what he wants. Uh, and then as a coach and as a, as an organization, knowing what's the best way to deliver that information. Is it visually, is it charts? Is it just tell them like, this is what's really good. So let's go with it. And that, and that spectrum is wide ranging when it comes to, to our 13, 14 pitchers. Some guys want it on a printed sheet. Some guys just want to be told like, you telling me this is what's good. This is what's like really good. And you're like, yeah. And they're like, okay, I'll go with it. Um, you know, and other guys really like Bueller wants to know down to his, you know, biomechanical skeleton, you know, to look at his posture at foot strike. Um, but, the, you know, those are kind of the those are the two ends of the spectrum. And, and not everybody can handle looking at that and, and be able to like immediately have the feel in their body and translate it into a delivery. Walker can't. Uh, other guys, again, are just like, tell me if I need to go up with the fastball or I need to go down with the breaking ball. And then you just tell them that and they go. So, again, it, it comes back. I think I would be more on the middle to simpler stuff. Like, just give me how to attack hitters. Um, I probably would be more finesse on that or, excuse me, more um, information on that. And when it came to the body, I'm more of a feel guy. You know, just give me, like, some quick hits and let me see if I can feel it. Because – Ultimately, like you're your own pitching coach when you go out on that mound, like, you know, we only get a couple visits. And again, it's more of like a it's it's more of like triage, like quick fixes, like, you know, breathe through your eyelids and like, let's hope that works sometimes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, there's nothing major going to happen between throwing a 2-0 fastball, you know, to, to Mike Trout that I'm going to walk out there and give him something that's so impactful that's going to make him all of a sudden go boom, boom, boom. You know, yeah. so like they need to be, we talk about that all the time. You got to be able to make adjustments on your own on the clock. You're going to miss being down in the bullpen at all? For sure. Yeah. What are you going to miss about it? Just, you know, it, it's that, uh, you know, we all have our timeline through the course of a day. And honestly, those first, you know, you get to the field, you start prepping for the game or you're prepping for the next series and then you're out on the field and you're 
tweaking, talking, doing a bunch of things. And then, you know, so there's this kind of like build up. But that first, like, you know, unless something crazy happens or there's an opener or a bullpen day, like those, those first four innings are just, it's kind of like this cool downtime where you're just, you're, you're watching the game and you're watching it with, you know, you're, you're paying attention, but you're also like, just kind of like, you know, you're playing some games or you're talking people are telling stories. Um, it's just, a, it's like, it's hard to describe. It's just like a cool, you know, you're just watching the game, like with your buddies and, um, you know, it's kind of fun. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, usually around the fifth inning starts rolling around. Like you start like sitting up in your chair a little bit more guys start moving around and, you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of, you know, the energy starts changing a little bit, going from a little bit of loose to starting to get serious. You can see the anxiety start to build and like waiting for that phone to ring and watching Honey's head. Like, is he moving to go call the phone or is he just <laughs> moving? You know, so um, I'll miss that aspect of it and I'll miss the camaraderie down there. I, I mean, it's not that it's not there, but it's just it's a fun it's a fun environment, especially when you get we had a great group of guys these last two years. Um you know, Cleric, Joe Kelly, Pedro, like there's just so many different personalities and it's just fun to watch each other, you know, them get on each other and just be a fly on the wall or be a part of it. So it's, I'm, I'm going to miss that aspect of it for sure. Isn't that part of the mental gymnastics that you do as a starter, kind of getting ready and keeping yourself down as a starter as long as possible? You know, you know, you got your seven o'clock game and here it is at two o'clock and you feel the adrenaline start coming on and you're just trying to find some distractions to, to stay calm and not burn that energy. Yeah. And that's for sure. And, um, you know, and, and, and that happens, it's almost like it, there's the day of like that. And then there's the five days in between and, you know, Guys always get upset because starters are go sometimes goofing off during games and stuff like that. It's honestly, it's because they they spend most of their work day in between starts from, you know, two to six, like grinding through their workouts, and it's like they need a chance to blow off some steam. Uh, same thing goes on this day of games. I mean, that's why I I, I don't know if I would have liked it at forty years old. Uh, you know, I remember Moise Zalou always telling me, like, save it, kid. Like, wait until you're our age, you know, playing day games. <laughs> but I like day games because it's literally by the time you got up, you're almost at the field and, like, you're getting dressed and you're off and running. You know, the, the night games, like, you sit specifically on the road. Like, you wake up, you're sitting in your hotel room, you're staring at the, at the walls. Like, do I go out? I don't want to go out and walk around too much, but, like, I can't, you know. Yeah, night games used to drive me nuts. Specifically, like you get to playoffs, then you're like eight thirty, eight forty five, and you're like, "Come on, let's go." Kids got to go to bed. You don't love coffee yet. You don't have appreciation for coffee yet. What in the world? Are you well, doing? I mean, then, but you know, unfortunately, I don't have to play, so I don't worry about the like lack of hydration. But you have a lot of coffee when you're. <laughs> yeah. you know, people get people sound think I'm crazy when they see me at like you're drinking coffee at seven thirty at night. I'm like, well, you know, we don't go to bed till one or right. two in the morning sometimes <laughs> that's right yeah. mark we do uh each week we do a top four anything this week our top four is top four breakfast cereals what is the greatest breakfast cereal of all time you don't have to give us four but what's the best breakfast cereal ever uh it's not easy there are a lot of good ones <laughs> wait are you gonna go healthy or are you gonna go sugar all over it <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm like, so like, should I draw from when I was like a kid? Yeah, think back to to your kid days. I mean, I, I want to say a, a uh, I want to say cinnamon toast crunch was a big one for oh, me. You yeah. did it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to say that one, but then honestly, when I started, you know, when we when we had the kids, I'm not gonna lie, like just the good old fashioned Cheerios. Like, hmm. I used to eat more out of their little snack little container than they did probably. Not honey nut. No, just the regular Cheerios. Nice. The regular, you know, I, I throw those down. But I, I'd say uh, I wasn't into Frosted Flakes. My brother was, but I was not a Frosted Flakes. I think I was a Cinnamon Toast Crunch guy. And then what was there was another one with the that had like the little colorful like oh gosh, it had like a bunny. Lucky Charms, Twix, Twix? Tricks, the one with the marshmallows in there. Maybe it was Tricks. Maybe. Tricks, Tricks are for kids, Mark. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. so I can't remember anymore. I'm not yeah. a kid. Yeah, I'm an old right. man with, with, with white white hair on my beard. You got a little there, but people pay for that look. You know, yeah, just uh, a touch. Touch, touch of gray. Well, not anymore they don't because they can't go get it trimmed. That's true. 
times are changing. <laughs> uh, we normally, with the players, when we have them on the show, Mark, we do a, a rapid fire, and the last question is always, who wins a Dodger cage match? I'm not going to ask you that for the players, but how about a Dodger cage match of the coaches? Who wins Ooh. that? Interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, gut reaction would be Brownie. Mm-hmm. It's Brant Brown. Brant Brown, big mm-hmm. CrossFit guy. I feel like he would have that kind of like mentality to go into a cage fight. Yeah. Um, Bardo, no, I don't know. He, you know, he just kind of dance around him. He'd bring his bat though. Yeah, he might have his bat and his shoes. Uh-huh. Um, Danny's too nice. But George would be like Spider Man. <laughs> so, so, so George would be the interesting one. George is, if somebody could flip the switch on George, like he did to Joey Gallo that time, and who else, whoever else he like horse collared in that other brawl. If something happened and George flipped the switch, I, I could see him going. I mean, he's some kind of strong. Yeah. So uh, I'd say it's one of those two guys. But George is also like really nice. So I just right. can't see him getting in a cage fight and taking one of us down. It's not his, his personality. You got to watch out for Bob Guerin too. Get those big ass hands on you. And you oh you yeah, no he'd chance. be like he'd be like Andre the Giant, you know, and <laughs> you know, like Princess Bride, where he just grab you and yeah. throw you. <laughs> Mark, thanks for spending so much time with us today, and uh, good luck as we get this thing going. It won't be long now. All right, eight days. Let's do it. All right, take care, big guy. Dave Roberts, what was the best thing you saw this week? Well, I, I think. I saw it, and, and everyone else saw it. Uh, this uh, hashtag Chico uh, clubhouse, <laughs> and then Chico's, you know, been with us since I think 2008, and um, former baseball player. But because we had a lack of one, we're one player short, so we had to use him out there in left field, and I didn't know what to expect, guys. But he ends up like making diving catches. He's throwing out Chris Taylor. He doubles up Gavin Lux. And like, he's like trending all over Twitter. So I'll tell you, we're, we're going hard. We're grinding. But to have a little levity and have Chico be a part of it has been so much fun. If you gave him four at bats and he went three for four, would he be an A ball if the minor league systems were opening up? Yeah, he, I, I think so. Or <laughs> I, I think he's trying to make our 60 man roster and <laughs> potentially get on the 30. We'll, we'll see where we go. Um, it's funny is that people keep talking about trying to get him in at bat, but I've got to protect the egos of our pitchers too. There just doesn't seem <laughs> yeah. to be a whole lot of upside for the pitchers. Well, the good thing for you, Dave, is because you never want right a message from the manager in the press and then a separate message from the player in the press. You and Chico are on the same page. I don't know if you saw, he was quoted as saying, I don't want to hit, I'll embarrass myself. So yeah, well, that's good that, that we're, uh, we're, uh, saying the same thing that that's very good. <laughs> Oral is the best thing you saw this week. You know what? It's a it's a tad selfish, but you both know, and the audience by now knows that we moved into a new house in November, and some of our new family room furniture arrives. So happy right. wife, happy life. Yeah, tell me again. You moved in when? <laughs> Back in November. So you've had no furniture. No, we ordered it. You know, they got to find the material, and then the COVID put down. You know, the furniture makers for a while. So yeah, we just got some uh, two new couches, a couple new chairs, and a coffee table. Where you been sitting for the last year? Uh, we bought furniture, kind of temporary furniture and couch on the, uh, f- and we knew we were going to give it to one of our kids. So okay. we picked a very neutral Perfect. color of a couch that we could uh, move on to the kids. Best thing I saw this week, or I don't know if you saw this, but the newest inductee into the UCLA Bruin Sports Hall of Fame, Dave Roberts. Congrats, Doc. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Um, it's, a, it's a class of nine, and I graduated in 1994, so obviously UCLA, UCLA Athletics, it's such a huge honor for me, guys, and um, it's a part of who I am, and you know, on the field, off the field, um, yeah, I'm very honored, and Oral's very familiar with Hall of Fames, but I'm not. So uh, oh. this is very special to me. So thank you guys. You're going in before Garrett Cole. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I got a few years on him, but that's that's I'm gonna that's, that's a feather in my cap. That's exactly. right. Exactly. Before Garrett Cole, and in the same class as Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook. Yeah. A- exactly, uh-huh. and, and that's something that no one's going to be able to take away from me. So um, hopefully, 
we do something in the fall that things kind of ease up a little bit and make sense uh, because I would love to get to know those guys and the other inductees, certainly. Well, congratulations. It was great news to see that today. Very happy for you, obviously. Well-deserved. Take us inside camp, Doc. What's going on besides Chico? What's new? Well, you know, we're doing a lot of inter-squatting, and, and I know that uh, you guys have seen Bob Guerin. He, he's been the umpire behind home plate, so he's taken some ribbing, but I think he's done a great job. And now we've got umpires, two regular umpires, so that's been good. Uh, we're getting the testing, guys, every other day, the saliva testing. Uh, we're going to start piping in some sound, I think, I'm hopeful, today. And just to kind of get used to that, pitchers are getting built up. Uh, hitters are getting their bats. Max Muncy uh, took some simulated bats yesterday and looked really good. And uh, he's going to play in the game, I think, as a DH today. And I say the game, guys, we have a, a mini World Series, Dodger World Series, starting today. It's uh, Kike and JT were the two team captains. And um, it's going to be best two out of three. And so if one team wins the first two, we're still going to play a third game. <laughs> but it'll be fun. That's going to be fun. It adds a little energy and competitiveness to, to the whole camp. Is Chico in the draft? Uh, you know what's uh, funny? I think he did go in the draft. And I think he <laughs> took him. Number one pick overall. Yeah, yeah it was kind of <laughs> like Betts, Seeger, Chico. Yeah, right, 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 right. Can't go before Betts or Seeger, but then he, he fits in. He slots in there right about third. Uh, thank God they're going to start piping the crowd music in. I don't know how it is to actually be in it, Dave, but it's weird watching from home and hearing the echoing and just the, like, it's like watching golf. It is, it is. But I'll tell you this, is that what, I, what I'm very, and you guys know me as, as an optimistic guy, I just think that, it's an opportunity in the sense of it's it's a little eerie, certainly, but for the viewers at home to have coaches mic'd up at different times, to have players mic'd up at different times. We're even talking about potentially some guys that have to sit in the stands, whether it be a starting pitcher that's not pitching. You know, you can have an, a conversation. You know, you two guys are going to can go to them, and I think there's going to be a, an ability to peel back certain layers for the fans to kind of kind of connect more with all of us. That's going to be special. And, you know, it's got to be good for the players to get a little crowd noise. But has Major League Baseball set down any rules? Is there booing in the track compared to applause? You know, you can boo every player that comes up on the opposing team. I, I love that. And I don't know, but I do know that there's a certain decibel level that you can't exceed. Okay. But you know what? If they're going to pipe it in, I, I think that there should be some kind of, you know, bigger moment and booing. I'm all I'm all about it because that's what you get on the road anyway. Uh, right. Astros are coming to town in a, in a month or so, so just saying. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to go see them. So first, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they got nothing to boo you about. <laughs> yeah. See how they treat us. We can always yeah. upgrade it. Um, you mentioned Corey Seager. Holy cow, he looks pretty darn good, doesn't he? He looks good. He looks great. And um, I don't know the, the fantasy baseball uh, goers out there. He better be high up their board because I'm telling you to to play that position and to to be where he's at right now. I think that when you say Corey Seager 2020 MVP will be in the conversation. When you look at your lineup, it's going to be hard to give those quality spots. You know, who gets to hit two, three and four with this lineup? Yeah. You know, I I think that Mookie's been very uh not bullish, but just really excited wanting to hit lead off. Uh -huh. And um, I really love Cody in the four. And, um, you know, I just like Max at, at the top of the order somewhere because he has the ability to get on base and, and, uh, and slug. And I think Justin's the same thing. So I really like Corey, you know, somewhere in the middle of things, because I think that when guys get on base, he just ups his at that quality. And last year I think was a career high for him and, and runs driven in. And I expect that to go up, you know, per game uh, this year. Yeah. So do you see then, regardless of handedness, it going Betts, Muncie, Turner, Bellinger? I think that's fair. Yeah, and, and things could change. But, sure. I, but I think that, you know, certainly against the right-hander, um, that, that's the way I, I see it, yeah. Okay. Have you had any aha moments with Mookie? Because when he dug that 0-2 curveball out yesterday and hit that home run, you don't see many swings like that. And now that we're seeing him on an everyday basis and he says, I don't, I'm not a real good spring training player, I'm like, really? Really good summer camp player, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And, and I think that that was – it's funny is 
he's been talking that he hasn't felt good at the plate, talking to hitting guys and in batting practice, and it still looks good to me. Um, but then he can go out there and scoop an 0-2 pitch out of, out of there and go hard up the middle against good pitching. And it's just – it's just you just don't see somebody as grounded as he is with his skill set, the work ethic. And, guys, I'm telling you, to see him every day, to watch Cody, Jock, you know, DJ Peters, all these guys kind of gravitate towards him and watch his work ethic, it just raises the level of play for everybody. Mookie's a guy everybody knows about, somebody who casual fan may not know about yet, but who's been impressive, Edwin Rios, huh? Yeah, Eddie. Eddie's a such a good kid. Just got married over the winter, and uh, I, I gave him a lot of grief because I think he only invited uh, one player, uh, Matt Beatty and his wife Jessica, to the wedding. So I just wore him out, and he said, "Doc, I haven't made any money. It costs a lot of money to, to you know have a wedding." And but Eddie's great. Uh, he looks fantastic. He's really worked on his defense. The skill set, the tools are certainly there. Um, he can leverage the baseball. But I think that right now he's really understanding an approach to the plate and understanding each pitcher uh, warrants a different approach and, and to kind of layer that on with his strengths. And, you know, I don't think Clayton's going to want me to talk about it, but yeah, he homered off Clayton the other day and he was hunting the ball in and uh, he ended up hitting a homer off Clayton. So it's just like, I just love the way that he can now use his skill, but also play that cat and mouse game. And he, he's going to be fun to watch. Go to the defensive side, and you look at the pitchers, and you see Stripling stretching out, Urias, Kershaw, you know, Woody. Are you are there any worries that we haven't seen Walker Bueller yet? I, I wouldn't say worry. I, I think that it's not ideal in the sense of yeah, I would love to say right now that you know Walker's going to throw a pen tomorrow um, and up and down. I would love to say he was built up to five six innings like the other guys, but um, it's not the case. Um, he's healthy, and I think that. You know, to, to piggyback him after his first start, first couple starts, I think is fine. We have the 30-man roster. It'll be fine. Um, but obviously, our goal is to win 11 games in October, and, and we need that guy healthy and, and ramped up by then, which he'll do so in, in plenty of time. Since the last time we talked to you, just about everybody has arrived at camp. Uh, been good getting all those guys back. And are there any concerns based on them missing the first week and a half, any of these guys, about their readiness for opening day? Yeah, you know what? It, it's it's I will say this is not having obviously we had David um, choose to sit out this season. Um, but the other guys that were a little bit late to summer camp for various reasons um, are relief pitchers and hitters that have kind of been taken at bat. So I think that the build up or ramp up for each one of these guys, we can we can we can manage it. And um, we're going to do a live situation with uh, Michael Grove, a, a second round pick out of West Virginia a couple years ago. He's going to throw three innings to Lux, Muncie, um, and Pollock today. So they're going to get, you know, call it 10 at bats each. And, and so that's kind of catching them back up. But it hasn't been bad. And I think if you look around the league, there's been a lot of delays with testing. And some guys are late to start camps and some teams are taking days off. But, guys, we haven't really missed a beat, to be quite honest. And um, very encouraging. You know, early in the afternoon, the lineup comes out and the projected pitchers for the inter-squad game. But sometimes guys are getting scratched. Is that just after early evaluations or guys maybe have something nagging? Is that stuff we should worry about or everybody's really healthy? No, it's just like everyone's healthy. Um, it, it's, you know, there's some testing things where we get tested every other day. So if the test doesn't go through or, or we can't get the test results and they're pending, then we can't play the guys. So I think that for us, we're still hopeful guys will come out and test negative. But I think that until we get everyone's results, those guys, we got to kind of uh, put on the back burner for the day. And that's what we've done with certain guys. So there's a chance that I could end up doing a broadcast by myself if Joe's results don't come in. I don't want Uh-oh. that. Hey, that's hey, if Joe's pending, you guys yeah. might uh, with this contact tracing. I don't know. So certainly. But <laughs> you guys are so good. You guys can work remote. Yeah, don't tell them that. They're, don't tell them that they're gonna not let us come to the stadium at all. Yeah, if, so. if I bring that up, Libby's gonna be like, "Hey, I heard what Doc said. You can work remotely. Going to work. <laughs> what have you been doing all these years? You mean to tell me you could have been home all this time?" Uh, uh, our guest this week, Doc, was Mark Pryor. You got a good one there, don't you? You know, I I, uh, I love the way you got him on. And um, I know the content was good. Mark doesn't like being the center of any kind of attention. 
but um, I'm very, we're very lucky to have Mark. He, he's done it in the front office. He done it. He's done it as a player. Players respect him. They like him. You know, um, to get any type of uh, lauding from Mark is very difficult. You know, he, he's very dry, but he's got a great sense of humor, and uh, everything he says has a purpose and a meaning, which which I love. But I just think for me, the last couple of years that he had a chance to mentor under. Rick Honeycutt, I think has been huge for his development as far as the pitch mechanics and developing pitchers and things like that. And um, Mark's a huge asset for me and somebody I'm going to be leaning on. He surprised us with some of the longest answers we've had. Excuse me. Yeah, he was he was very long winded for part of it. That's interesting yeah. because I would expect like the quick one word. And um, I, I just I love talking because he just he doesn't talk a whole lot, but when he does talk like i said man it's got a lot of intent and meaning you're gonna have to go back and on your very short commute to the ballpark over the next few days listen to the mark Pryor interview maybe a side of him even you've never seen i love it but i know i i come back guys and i listen to the shows and i hate hearing my voice so that's number one i'm gonna get that said um i don't know how you guys do it on the radio or on tv all the time used to it okay i hate my voice um, but I do love how you guys kind of circle in different guys and I love the pitching side and it's just, it's fun because it's a great conversation, conversation with three friends and, and, uh, I, I appreciate it. The, uh, top four this week, we actually got Mark's take. We got his number one, but our top four is going to be top four cereals. I don't know about you, doc, but I had Libby and I had a fun time sitting down and trying to decide this. What are your top four cereals? Okay. So. You know, people see me in the, in the light of a, of a major league manager and you know, I can be stoic, but there's a lot of immaturity uh, in me as well. And so it's going to be uh, displayed with my choice of favorite cereals. And this is like favorite all time. So because I have a wife, I don't get to, and I don't buy the groceries. These are not in our house, but these are my yeah. favorites. OK, number one, Crunch Berries, not Captain Crunch, the Crunch Berries. I love those. Yeah. Um, that's your number one. You're going, that's your number four. That's top. number four. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, fruity pebbles. I'm all about yes. the fruity pebbles. So it just kind of speaks to my immaturity. Um, and third golden grams. Mm-hmm. I love golden grams and number one, all time, Tony, the tiger frosted flakes. They're great. That <laughs> boy. <laughs> I love, love it. it. Oral, what do you got? I'm going to be boring because I thought back to, you know, I was born in Buffalo and raised a little bit in Cheryl, New Jersey, where it's cold and wet and also Michigan, Detroit, Michigan area. So I went with oatmeal as my number four. Just Oatmeal's get a hot not, bowl yeah. of oatmeal in the morning. I love the brown hey, sugar. He's not playing I, by the rules, Joe. I love no, the, I I love know. the There's cream on there or cereals. the half and half. <laughs> Second is cream of wheat, so take that, guys. Sorry. You're going to go grits three or what? Right. And then we're going <laughs> to no, like Rice Krispies, nice and boring, is three. Going to the top, Snap number two is pop. Rice Krispies. You get the baseball helmets out of the bag. That's sweet. And my top two were Dave had, you know, number one was Frosted Flakes. That was right up there with me. And But really, my number one has been Raisin Bran. Good call. Good with call. some bananas yeah. on it, too. Yep. Okay. Uh, number four, Doc, we have some similarities here. Maybe we should get together and eat cereal once <laughs> some things breakfast. are normal. Uh, Golden Grams is four. Super underrated. Not many people Very think underrated. have that in the top five. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> number three is Fruity Pebbles. Agree with you on that. Love that. Number two, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, which is Pryor's number one. That was kind of in my, that's my five. You know, they have you ever had um, ice cream at Milk Bar? And there's one in New York. In New York, absolutely. It, you know, the ice cream is designed, the chef there created it with Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal, the, the milk in mind. Got it. Got it. So, I love, yeah. That makes sense. You love it. Uh, and then number one for me, a little controversial. Some may say it's boring, but life. Oh, oh I forgot see, about life. We have the same palate because I just oh, miss yeah. life because I would bump, yeah. I could bump a cereal or out. Uh, cereal out to have my life uh, that's sure. very underrated as well can't wait to have one big bowl of cereal and two spoons in it we're just gonna crush it <laughs> I can't oh, wait. it's unbelievable it's like uh <laughs> when i go and have cereal sometimes at night and i'm not proud of it um i get my <laughs> wife's like okay i'll get you a bowl of cereal and then she gets this little tiny bowl and i'm like nope. what's that for yeah. i'm looking for the big soup bowl <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you doing you want a half a box <laughs> exactly 
we need to give references, though, I think, to Smacks, underrated, Corn Puffs, Frosted Mini Wheats, and you guys mentioned Frosted Flakes, but that's on my honorable mention, too. I can't wait to get back to cocktails and wine. There you go. I'm in. We can do that next week. Oral's favorite cocktail, folks, oatmeal. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, Next time we talk, Doc, it's going to be the day before opening day. How's that sound? Man, that's going to be fun. Um, Giants, Dodgers, Chavez, Ravine. Um, You're going to have to uh, do your pre, because it's going to be a night game. Is that correct or no? Uh, it will be, yeah. ESPN. Yeah. yeah, you can do your egg, your green egg. Um, it, it's exciting. Pl- players are getting really uh, psyched about it. So, You think they're going to put the bunting out like a real opening day? You decorate Hope. the stadium? Well, gosh, Oral, we have, we're going to have cardboard cutouts of soccer fans across uh, the, the country. So I guess I would assume if we're going to have that, we should have some bunting, bunting. as well, right? Right. Yeah. Deal. We'll make sure we'll make it happen. Oral knows people. Thanks, Doc. See All you, right, Doc. guys. Have a good one. Talk soon. See ya. Oral, what are you most looking forward to this week? Well, we record this on a Wednesday. It get released on a Thursday. And when this is released, I'll be in a car to Los Angeles. And then I'll be yes. getting my test, my COVID test that afternoon. So we're leaving at 7 a.m. in the morning. And I'm looking forward to being in that booth with you and Boyd and Rick and doing Dodger games. Yeah, that's it's a pretty easy answer this time, isn't it? Sunday night, the first of the three exhibition games. So you've been doing the scrimmages from your house in Vegas, and then John Hartung is handling a scrimmage version of play-by-play of that. And well, you guys have like 14 different analysts on there. But once we get into the exhibition games, the two of the Diamondbacks, the one with the Angels, it will be, for the first time, a traditional broadcast. With cutout fans. Cutout fans. Yeah, <laughs> as traditional as it can be. In July of 2020, a year unlike any other. I love you, man. Love you, buddy. Can't wait to get this going. 